Ho, ho, ho. You're listening to Nightmares with Beers. Your hosts, Mark and Blaster. Grab a beer. Prepare for fear. Welcome to another episode of Nightmares with Beer, the show that explores true facts of horror movies with our favorite drink, beer. We're your hosts, Mark and Blaster. Today we're going to talk about the movie The Changeling. We'll discuss the true horrors behind the movie and offer a listener insight to the actual events. Actual events on this. Apparently. On story that may, be, that may be not even true. Let's just start off with that. As much as it's amazing, it might not... Uh, still good. Still do the shit. Well, I've seen it, and I've probably watched it about maybe ten times since. And I find it to be a pretty damn creepy movie, so if it's based on some kind of true story, then that's even better. Oh, it's an awesome movie. Yeah, it is. That's a, it's, it's a really good... And it's Canadian, eh? It is Canadian. It is Canadian. Cheers it, to that. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of which... Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. So, the film premiered in the USA Film Festival in Dallas, Texas on March 26, 1980. And then it was released simultaneously in Canada and the US two days later. Two days later. So, I, don't, I think that's rare that it will premiere in a festival and then be released, um, you know, all over the place within two days. Usually, it takes quite some time. Because it's that damn good. Well, I don't think it has anything to do with that. It's usually something... It has everything to do with the fact that it was amazing. Well, no. It, sell it. <laughs> it was an amazing movie, but I think it's more about logistics and, um, you know, releasing the, the movie. And it received positive critical reviews, and it was an early Canadian-produced film to have major success internationally. Internationally, yeah. And it won a bunch of stuff, right? What did it win? Genie Awards, uh, Best Motion Picture. That's a bit of a tongue twister. Um, Saturn Awards. Uh, it did really well. Well, yeah, it had 11 wins and five nominations. It was considered to be one of the best horror movies of all times and one of the most influential Canadian films of all times. That's, 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 a, that's a huge feat. Uh, yeah, f- for back in 1980, absolutely. I mean, I don't know what it is about movies that were made, you know, in the 70s and the 80s. You got Black Christmas, you got The Changeling, you got The Exorcist, um, amongst... More, I'm sure, and you know they just they never, they never fail for me. I just think they're the creepiest ones compared to these newer movies that come out, which are still good. Just you know, just just not as authentic, I guess. Well, that's because back then the original they they were the originals. That was the first time any of that stuff came out. Now it's just either copies or lame ripoffs, right? Right. Yeah. So it was one of the most influential Canadian films of all time. Yeah. Which is pretty sweet. It's based on the paranormal events that Russell Hunter experienced while living in an old home near Chessman Park, Denver, Colorado in the late 60s. Right. So that's, what, 20 years later? Yeah, 20 years later. And just like in the movie, Hunter worked as a musical arranger, uh, worked for uh, CBS TV in New York City, 
but he moved to Colorado in the mid-1960s to help his parents manage um, the Three Birches Lodge in Boulder, Colorado. So I don't know what that was. I, maybe that, well, a lodge, I guess, right? <laughs> I think they owned a bunch of properties from things I've read. They owned a bunch of different houses and whatever. In the late 60s, uh, Hunter began to look for an apartment in Denver where he could live and work on his music. He rented a home at 1739 East 13th Avenue, which since has been torn down. That home's been torn down? Yeah, that's, oh. the, re that's the research I did. and it. Uh, well, in the movie, it burns down at the end as well, too, so maybe that's yeah. kind of part of the story, right? Maybe that was a depiction of it, just burning it down. Yeah. I mean, again, that's perfect. The in the movie it had that senator who was the changeling, right? Right. He was the he was the imposter that right. replaced the kid that the father killed. How we seen it in the movie, or whatever, and then went there, and the house burnt down. So maybe maybe like interesting to know if maybe it did actually burn down, or did, was it just torn down? Uh, says here it's been torn down. So why don't you give us tell us what the movie's about? The beginning of the movie, right? Mm hmm. It's pretty traumatic. It is. But it kind of ties in with the season. It's, it's wintertime. Their car broke down in the middle of the road, and they had to push it off the road, and it was winter. And in the, in the film, it looks pretty slushy and icy. So. And that truck comes around the corner. car comes around the corner. Ran the truck. Had, he loses his, his, his kid and his wife and then ends up at this house that he had right. to rent. Or cheaply rent, because nobody would rent it, right? So Do you know, it wasn't even a house, it was a mansion. And you know what they rented it to him for a month? 200 bucks. 200 bucks, because the house was just sitting there. They were a friend of his, and I don't know if that's one way to give him a break. Um, well, ain't much of a break when the motherfucker's haunted, but um, $200 rent. Can you imagine? But that's it? like 1980s, 1960s money, so that was probably like two grand. <laughs> oh, maybe, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Still, 200 bucks for the, all that space. Yeah. And that's where he's going to do his work to keep his mind off his kids and everything, or his kid and his wife. Mm -hmm. And then he started hearing pounding every morning. Right. Pounding, and as soon as his feet would touch the floor, it would stop. And he got that furnace guy to come in and see if it's the furnace. It's this old house. All these old houses have these broken old furnaces. Old yep. furnace. That was the first thing he experienced, the... the the loud banging and crashing that occurred at 6 a.m. every morning. He would stop as soon as his feet would touch the floor. He claimed beginning on February 9th, he started experiencing strange phenomena on the house. So there was an unbelievable loud banging and crashing. And then faucets began turning on by themselves. And doors opened and closed on their own. Walls vibrated violently and tossing paintings to the floor. That's, that's, that's a good sign. It's fucking haunted. Get out. I got music to write, man. I got to stay here. This is this is creative. So in the movie, he finds that music box, which was pretty uh, trippy because the, it played that song that he was writing before he found the box. He opened it up and played it in front of that woman that was that uh, whoever her name was there helped him get the place. Right. And it was the exact same song. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know if something like that happened in the real story, but it's pretty cool concept. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think I've read anything about the real... Who knows? I mean, there might be something like that. Everything I've read about the real of it is very short. Well, it's like you said, right? We're not even sure if there is a real of this story, but we did find something that claims that the movie is based off the story we're talking about now. So Hunter and the architect friend uh, un undercovered a hidden staircase uh, 
behind the back closet. So the stairs led to a third floor in the home where Hunter found a child's trunk containing a nine-year-old, uh, sorry, a nine-year-old's uh, school books and a journal from a century before that. The journal detailed the life of a disabled boy who was kept in isolation. The boy wrote about his favorite toy, a red rubber ball. Um, a few nights after discovering the trunk, um, the red ball dropped down from the top staircase. It was a spiral staircase, and it started dropping down the stairs. I guess that is. I guess that was to fit the scene where he takes his daughter's ball and throws it into the river, and then goes back home, and the the ball is back there coming down the stairs, which was also creepy. Very creepy. And in the movie, it was just a straight set of stairs. It wasn't a spiral stairs. So apparently the real stairs were spiral. It's amazing how much of that movie is duplicated in so many other horror films with the ball dropping, that wheelchair. It's been put into so much other movies, pop culture, for decades now. Yeah. Well, yeah, I have seen it before, I'm sure. Um, It's such a familiar scene. Um, I can't really tell you where I've seen it, but yeah, it's creepy. After the rubber ball dropped, what happened after that in the movie? Was it the seance? Uh, there was a seance, yeah, I believe. Uh, I think it was yeah, right after and that, yeah. it revealed the story of a sickly child who was an heir to a fortune from his maternal grandfather. And then when the child became gravely ill, his parents worried that that boy's inheritance would pass to a different branch of the family. They were worried about losing them. And when their son died, the couple secretly buried him in a field in southeast Denver, adopted a boy from a local orphanage who perfectly resembled their deceased son. That's crazy. They trained him to take on the identity of the deceased boy, hence the Changeling film title, and the boy went on to become a well-educated and successful individual. Right. Now, in the movie, they actually killed the boy. So I don't know, I couldn't tell you if he actually just died of, of his illness or if they killed him. Yeah, because in the movie, his father drowns him, which is, for me, a very hard scene to watch. Now, back then, it scared me. Now, it pisses me off. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's just a movie. And after the seance, the paranormal activity increases, and eventually Hunter was fearing for his life. He fled to a new house on Kearney Street. Really? I don't know. But the hauntings moved with him. Hunter called in a priest from the Ephany... Epicospal Church to perform an exorcism which seemed to clear the air. Perfect exorcism. That goes right with it. Exorcist, exorcist, drink. Oh, are we still? Uh, yeah, that's the rules that we follow every episode. Rules of every Changeling, episode. exorcist, whatever movie. We've referred to one of the movies we've already did, drink. By the time we get to the end of the season, you won't be able to talk without getting hammered. <laughs> you won't be able to walk. You need that wheelchair to help you. It was a pretty creepy looking little wheelchair, too. It actually started moving on its own in the movie. I, I really... Uh, Found that creepy. You know, I have a hard time watching anything that has to do with children getting hurt. Well, now, yeah. Well, yeah, that's an old movie, and it fits into the whole haunted house kind of persona thing, and um, it worked. But there is a lot of movies out there now. I had a hard time watching The Woman in Black, all about little kids getting killed or murdered or whatever it was. I didn't actually even get through the movie because of it, but, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's hard to watch any kind of movie where kids get hurt. I agree with you. I guess we're just old, beer-drinking sons of bitches. Sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> where's, where's my banjo? So Hunter declared that it was the deceased child who spoke to them at the, the seance. Now, remember in the movie, his name was Joseph? They did that really well, too, when he was listening back to the tape recording, and you can hear that whisper, Joseph. 
their film work back then. It's so homegrown, you know? You had some dude running with a camera through the house while this little boy spoke while he was listening back. Do you remember that scene? Yeah. The creativity behind it, it's like wasn't a big budget, you know what I mean? It just, go run with the camera, I'm going to have some scary shit going on while you do that. So it was the, the deceased boy who spoke through the seance, revealing the directions of the burial place uh, under a house in South Dahlia Street. So Hunter stated after gaining permission to dig under the home, human remains and a gold medallion inscribed with the deceased boy's name were found in the grave. A few days later, Hunter stated that he began to experience more violent ghostly ac uh, activity in his home. Uh, he said glass doors blew up in his face, severed an artery in his wrist, um, the inner wall over the head um, of his bed violently imploded. They're talking about things here that didn't happen in the movie. So, I mean, it was very well. This might be, might be based off of something that did happen. Whether it's a little bit fabricated or not, it's, it's quite possible. It was a mirror that blew in his face in the movie, and it's it the, the shard went into his neck, not his wrist. I don't remember that. Yeah, that's when he went there, when the accident happened by the cop. Cop's car got flipped over when he left. He looked in that mirror, and the mirror blew up, and oh, it yeah. hit him right. It hit him in the neck. The shard hit him in the neck, not in the wrist. That's right. I I do remember yeah. that. Yeah. So that's the only change from that. You know, they probably just took that to. They, you have to have some kind of flow when you're making a movie right yeah something. no you're absolutely right i remember watching this movie many many years ago didn't really think anything of it then i sat i paid attention i watched it with a friend of mine a long time ago a female friend of mine and uh we actually left the damn house after we were that creeped out over it <laughs> we said screw this we we fucking went out and we had a few drinks and tried to forget all about it i think it was more or less we were dating, and we actually lived at the house, <laughs> and we watched it and said, let's go out and do something, because it was pretty empty and echoey in the place because we had just moved in, so we were a little bit creeped out. That's perfect. That's like what movies are supposed to do. If you're questioning your own home after watching a movie that's a haunted house, then as the writers and the uh, directors and producers have done their job then. I think it was more of a... A situation where we didn't want to question our house. We just ended up getting the fuck out and went and had a few drinks. You know what I mean? So Hunter left the house only to return to it again to watch his demolition make way. So it was demolished. It wasn't burned. Yep. For a high-rise apartment building. He remarked of the raising as the walls of the wing which, he contained, which had contained my bedroom collapsed. It suddenly flew outward and crushed to death the man operating the bulldozer. Ooh. So the horror didn't end when he left... So they were demolishing the house, and the wing of the um, the house that contained the bedroom collapsed and killed the, the bulldozer operator. If uh, anybody's curious on what the house actually looked like, if you go online and search the 1980 film The Changeling or the search Russell Hunter, you'll see a picture of the house. It's just an old, creepy-looking house. It's not the one in the film, but it still looks pretty creepy. At least the black and, one, black and white one I seen did. So Cheeseman Park was originally a graveyard, and as recent as 2010, workers digging trenches for the park's interrogation system undercovered skeletons from the abandoned cemetery. That's what I was, thank you, that's what I was going to say. Apparently, uh, a lot of these hauntings and uh, things happen being built over haunted burial grounds, right? Like, uh, especially from, like, older ones, and it makes you the question, like, we all bury over each other, so... 
Cemeteries are everywhere. The whole earth is cemeteries after all this time. That's a lot of ghost shit, man. Well, if they're if they're you know based off of old cemeteries, I think uh, whatever's buried in them would have to have some kind of history. Um, I mean, I don't just think somebody passes away, they had a good life, and all of a sudden there's hauntings. That just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make for a good movie neither. But maybe if there's some kind of history of violence or some kind of trauma, maybe that's what makes a cemetery haunted. In the movie, he was drowned by his father, right? That's a pr- In a tub, a little tub. That's a pretty horrific and ho- extreme way to go. So uh, I remember reading things like that about ghosts and uh, apparitions and violent ones. It's usually a very strong, traumatic experience that they had before dying that made them come back, didn't leave. If you believe in that thing, right? They're still here because of that trauma. Right. Exactly what you said. That's crazy. Like He was drowned. He was drowned by his dad. It goes with saying, right? I mean, when somebody's killed, they didn't get to live, live out their whole life. So usually um, spirits or, or uh, ghosts... There's dead people sticking around because they have unfinished business, right? I think that's actually true. It, well, if it is, in fact, true. <laughs> yeah, it's like they, they leave a, uh, a stain, like an imprint. Yeah. I mean, from all the you know podcasts we've done so far and the reading we've done on true um, horror, horror movies based on true events, it always has something, it always has something to do with that. Doing research on this movie, there really wasn't a lot out there. There wasn't a lot of um, information found. And that that kind of made for a lot of uh, jibber-jabber in this podcast today, but it's still quite interesting to, to, to know that it is based on some kind of event or story. Uh, Phil Goodstein points out in his 1996 book, The Ghosts of Denver, Capitol Hill, the historical details in Hunter's story don't exactly check out. So that's why there's not a lot to go on. Regardless of if it's true or not, it is still a very damn good movie. It's creepy it's a great movie. as fuck. It's very well done for, the, for what it is. And it's <clears throat> amazing because I love when actors are centered on one actor for the majority of the movie, and he has to portray all these parts. That's amazing. With not and everybody else becomes yeah. secondary, right? So that's how the movie flowed too. A lot of the time in the movie, it was just one guy in a house, right? With the exception of, you know, scenes where he's talking to the to the to the school and to the to the lady that helped him get the house. It's kind of cool how they can do most of a movie with just one person and a topic. Yeah, and run with that for two hours. I wonder if this film, being a Canadian film, was any kind of inspiration for like. Uh, Insidious or or any of the other haunting movies out there. I think what the part of the problem is is that they don't give credit where credit is due. In Hollywood production, a Canadian film might have inspired them. They should talk about that. They should they should put something out there about that. You know. All right, people. Thanks for listening. This is Nightmares with Beer. If like always, if you have any kind of uh, events of your own that you've experienced and you'd like to share it. Um, drop us a voicemail. There'll be a link on our Facebook page or drop us an email at nightmareswithbeer at gmail.com and uh, we'll be happy to discuss it, providing it comes off as creepy as hell and somewhat authentic. So, see you next week. <laughs>